super disappointed in the Mueller. I know. Can we talk? I mean, God, I could talk about that. I could. That could be a whole episode. But the yeah. thing is that I want to make sure everyone realizes, from Mueller, we got how many indictments and how many oh, yeah. guilty pleas. It was like so, I mean, thirty-seven. Or people like that. were saying that it was for off or not, and it totally wasn't. So I now know. Trump thinks he's got off. You know, Scott Free is totally exonerated. Yeah. Welcome to Conversation on Tap, a new podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool, pour a glass of tasty beer, and join us each week as we talk about all the topics that you were told not to discuss in polite company. My name is Jose. And I'm Joel. And this week we are going to discuss religion. This is something we kind of talk about every episode, but Mm -hmm. we're going to spend an entire episode this week discussing this topic. Yeah. We discuss impolite uh, topics especially, and that's oh, yeah. the most impolite topic probably to bring up yeah. amongst strangers. Race, politics, and religion. Mm-hmm. We hit them all. What are we drinking here today? So this week we have a Guinness Draft Stout. It's in a bottle. It's got like an old school picture yeah. on like a toucan sitting on a, what is that, a weather vane? It's so good. It's this is just the typical Guinness, but they've got a different bottle cover. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure this is just the typical Guinness. Oh. I don't think it's anything special. It's not. It just says the bottle says Guinness Special Edition bottle. Yeah, our legendary Guinness Draft Stout in a collectible bottle, celebrating the famed Guinness campaigns of the 1930s and 50s. Really good. Wow, it's really good. Um, there's a great ice cream at that ice cream factory place out at Orchid, and there's one in AG that makes uh, Guinness, and it is Guinness ice cream, believe it or not. It is so good. Is that Doc Bernstein's? Doc Bernstein's, yeah. Ooh, By the way, they're expanding in a big way. Like really? hundreds of stores is what I read, or dozens of stores, uh-huh. something like that. It's crazy. I have their, um, what is it, raspberry Merlot truffle what, in my refrigerator. Oh my gosh. In my freezer. It's so good. To go with the wall of her, let's stick in the shinty bowl to break the brack, the crack, and all. Let's call it an Irish pub. Every shot, go getting a pub, the Guinness pun, the cabbage crack, the yard, the one of the paddy trap. We'll call it an Irish pub. While I'll pay for the spread upon the holy moon. Now, for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, Zay and I will each share one thing that we are passionate about for about two minutes, though we tend to be chatterboxes, so that is not a strict time limit. This week, I will discuss something that most, even educated adults, I don't feel like know, and I'll make this super short, is why just last week, that was March 20th, we had a day that started spring, and the day and the night were equal in time. We call that, of course, the spring equinox. And if you ask most people why we have seasons, I don't think, I think people would say, most, I guess, educated adults would know. But a lot of adults think it has to do with our distance from the sun, for instance. Okay. And, and there are times when the earth is, is closer to the sun. That's called perihelion. I think it actually comes in our coldest season. It comes right in December. Right. Um, so why, of course, do we have seasons? Is it the tilt of the earth? Yeah, it's the tilt of the earth. And um, I ask every year mm-hmm. on this date or in September, um, of course, September 21st is the fall equinox. And sometimes in December, when we have the longest night of the year, that's 
December 21st, I think, or 22nd, or I asked them, well, why do we have seasons? And none of my kids know that. It bugs me out. I mean, yeah. of course, when we have a tilt to the planet, the northern hemisphere will sometimes be tilted towards the sun, mm -hmm. and sometimes it will be tilted away from the sun. And when it's neither tilted away from the sun or towards it, we have equinoxes. Right. And um, very few educated people know that, or not enough, and it bugs me. I think um, that too. But I think also there are people who... Um, don't invest too much in it simply because they associate it with paganism. Ah, yeah. These like equinoxes where these ancient cultures would have some kind of feast or celebration to worship their god. Yeah, I love that. Of course, Christmas, they tried to mm -hmm. put it as close as they could to the to winter. Um, winter solstice, right? And they got it pretty darn close within mm -hmm. four days. Um, and it's interesting how Christianity has tried to put Christian holidays on those pagan holidays. I think Halloween, of course, is another one. Right. So that's actually my, that leads into my, perfect, to my talk, because I think a lot of people try to say, well, Easter is a pagan holiday because it happens to align. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it aligns with the spring equinox. But not always. This year. But not always. Definitely not. So the way that works is Easter, because the date, if you notice, changes every year. It's not a solid Date. Yeah, it's a movable feast, as they say. Right, because it is, in a sense, tied to the moon, the phases of the moon. Is that the Jewish calendar, or is that some... Okay. So, the reason why I would say that Easter is not a pagan holiday, because a lot of some Christians and non-Christians will say, well, Easter is just a pagan holiday. The Catholic Church just popped right there. Usurped. Usurped, basically. Huh. But, it's not. Easter is actually associated with the Jewish Passover. That's why Passover and Easter always fall around the same time. So in the Jewish calendar, um, Passover falls on the 14th and 15th of Nisan. And Nisan occurs during the spring equinox. Nice. So there's an association there. And I didn't know that. That's cool. And so we celebrate Easter close to Passover, but not on Passover, because... The Christians said, well, we don't want to have to listen to Jewish rabbis to tell us when to celebrate Easter. Ah, ah. So they said, instead, we'll celebrate Easter on the first Sunday after the first full moon on or after March 22nd. Oh. So, so it, that's why it I moves. always thought it was the Jewish calendar, but it's a Christian sort of pride thing. To, and yes. It goes with the moon. Yeah, so it's in a sense we're aligning it with the Jews, because Passover and Easter always fall mm -hmm. around the same time. Right. But we don't listen to the rabbis to say, this is Passover. Right. We just go let with... those rabbis exactly. tell us Christians. Exactly. We just look at the moon. Okay, well, it's after March 22nd. It's a full moon. So the first Sunday after that is Easter. Nice. And so, you know, the Passover is when the Jews would sacrifice an unblemished lamb, right, to commemorate that first... Exodus from bondage under Egypt. Right. Right. So when they put, what, lamb's blood on their door so the angel of death would... Would pass over. Pass over. Right. right. And so we as Christians, for us, Christ is our unblemished lamb that we have had sacrificed for us so we can be freed from the bondage of sin. Right. So our Easter is basically the Christian Passover. Very interesting. So it's not pagan. It's very much... Rooted in Judaism, 
right. and we use the lunar calendar, if you will, to kind of determine when in spring. But every time a problem ends, another one begins And the stone walls of harmony all bear witness Anybody with a word in mind can never forgive the side So can we segue right into our main topic of religion from yeah. that? Because my, uh, probably my biggest issue with Christianity uh -huh. And it's hard to pin you down because I grew up with a totally different uh, version of Christianity than you did. Right. And yours is much more merciful than, than the one I grew up with. But mine grew up with, and you said, you know, Jesus had to be a sacrifice to save us from sin. And what I, I always feel like that's a bit of double speak. And the reason is this. They don't go and say the next part of that sentence. Save us from the sin that is natural in all of us. We're born with it, and we need to be saved from hell. If if uh, we aren't saved by through through Christ's blood, then right. the other consequence is going to hell. Now I know you don't believe, or maybe you don't believe that. I don't think close, you do. but not exactly. Yeah. Okay, but it's not a it's not a nice thing. I don't think they definitely don't get heaven, in, even in your estimation. Right. And that bugs the heck out of me. Um, the idea that you're born sinful. And, I mean, I would be, of course, the first to um, admit that we're always going to do... There's never been a human being gone through his whole or her whole life without doing bad things. Mm -hmm. Which, I guess, you could say would be sins. Mm -hmm. But the idea that you could go to hell or at least not receive this amazing um, eternal life that other people are getting because you're born that way mm -hmm. is, is really ugly to me. Well, okay, that's where I would say the merciful part would step in. So if you listen to some of the fire and brimstone preachers, right, right that's kind of how they would lead, right. right? You know, repent or go to hell, basically. And what I would say is it's not repent and go to hell. It's repent and have a relationship with Christ. So the focus is not so much on I'm avoiding hell. The focus is more on how can I be more like Christ? And have a relationship with this person that you've never seen, felt. Well, Christ is the second person of the Trinity, right? So he is right. God incarnate. So it's like having a relationship with God. Right. Not, well, I want to avoid hell. So if your conception of Christianity, of your faith, is avoidance of hell, then I'll say you're doing it wrong. Because then what ends up happening is, you as the believer spend your whole life focused on what other people are doing that you would consider sinful. Mm -hmm. Rather than focusing on yourself and kind of cultivating your own spiritual life or cultivating your own faith life and growing in holiness. Yeah, but I guess, I, I guess how can I explain this? You start with the default being... You need to re develop a relationship with Jesus. But if you were born into a non-Christian household, very neutral about religion, right. you're asking those people to do something which isn't logical to them at all. Right. You know? So then, I mean, they have to basically believe in something they don't see, touch, feel, sense, mm -hmm. have any kind of experience with. Right. And, and 
for those people, it's um, they still get punished, if I'm not mistaken, by not getting all the benefits of a relationship with Jesus after they die. Well, that's again, so that's more like the fire and brimstone version mm-hmm. of Christianity. Well, I don't care about that, but is that true? Well, that's what the evangelicals and Protestants would say. But do, Catholics, do Catholics say that that those people who grow up in a neutral, um, maybe non-religious um, uh, household and who don't come to Jesus, they don't get heaven? Or I can't remember yes. if they do. So like Pope Francis, well, I don't want to say yes like a catch-all, like yes, of course. Right, are. it depends. It depends. Every situation so Pope Francis came under fire from conservative Catholics, actually, yeah. for saying even an atheist could go to heaven. Yeah. Right? Because the church has taught that you are only held liable for what you know. So let's say you grow up in a Muslim household, right? And you grow up around other Muslims, you grow up in the Islamic faith and culture, and you have no concept of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You have no concept of Christianity whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But if you live your life in a way where you, we would call it cooperating with grace. But we would also say that's just abiding by your conscience. Mm-hmm. You could be saved. You could have heaven. Right. But we would just say that's just Christ being merciful right. and in your ignorance saving you. Right. So if you grow up an atheist, you have no faith whatsoever, we would say if for whatever reason, you never came to know Christ through no fault of your own. So maybe you're growing up in a household where everyone hates religion mm-hmm. or whatever. You never really had someone evangelize to you mm-hmm. the right way, right. Right? right? So there's the, the core, though, is what's your conscience? Are you cooperating with God's grace? Now, if you're an atheist, you wouldn't call it that. You would just say, well, I'm following my conscience, right? Right. But if you're following your conscience... We say that's the seed of Christ. Yeah. Your conscience is the seed of Christ. That's where Christ is in you and, I guess, prompting you through the Holy Spirit to do good, to right. do the right thing. Yeah. But if you're a horrible person and you don't believe in God, well, then you'll be judged according to that. So one of the things is, like, after we discover the new world, you know, mm-hmm. the old world discovered the new world, Christendom at the point had thought, well, everyone has heard of Christ. So at this point... If you haven't heard of Christ, then it's your own fault, right? They had gotten kind of prideful in that thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, they discover the new world, and there's a whole continent of natives right. who have never heard of Christ. Right. And so that's where, like, oh, are we going to say that, like, thousands of years of Native Americans just went to hell yeah. through no fault of their own? Right. No, that doesn't make any sense. Of course not. I don't think it makes any sense either way. I mean, but especially in that sense. Right. But for me, for instance... Um, I am, am the son of a pastor and would be like the perfect candidate to know pretty much everything. But you know what you know what you do know a lot. I know a lot. And let me ask you this: Is any of this the Holy Spirit needing to intercede at all, um, which is out of my power? Or um, do you think like some some Christians believe? Mm-hmm. Well, just make sure you keep your heart open to the Holy Spirit because it's up to Him whether or not you know. You um, are saved. That's more of like a that's more of like a Luther Calvinist Mm -hmm. approach. Mm -hmm. So Luther had this idea where you had no free will, and Calvin had the same concept too. They both thought you had no free will. 
What? That either an I angel. Never, I don't think that's. I think a lot of Lutherans would totally disagree with that. Maybe today. Yeah. Calvinists now. For sure. For sure. By yeah. the time Lutheran. I Luther, mean, isn't Calvin the one who said there's 186,000? I don't remember how many. I don't. I don't know uh, exactly, but he thought we're gonna be saved. So Calvin basically just took Luther's teaching and made it worse. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But Luther was the one who said that, um, and I think you like you would say, modern day Lutherans would disagree with Luther. Luther basically said, mm, you, depends on which denomination, but yeah. Oh, because there's different synods, right, right, right. But basically, Luther said, you as an individual, don't only get to decide. Either an angel jumps on your back mm-hmm. and leads you to heaven, mm-hmm. or a devil jumps on your back and leads you to hell. Right. And you're kind of like a donkey, and they push or pull you in whichever direction. I think that most Lutherans would say, no, the devil and the angel are definitely um, fighting for your soul, but you're totally, you totally have the free will to decide right. which side you, know, you want to go to on. Because yeah. Calvin, and, and, and like I said, Calvinists took that and made it worse, to where there's absolutely no free will whatsoever. Right. And you're either born going to hell or you're born going to heaven, and it doesn't matter what you do. Oh, Whatsoever. Man. But, is that right? Because that's, I think that's right, actually, but it just shocks my conscience every time I hear about it. Because they believe like, that God has, like, a divine plan that is already set in stone, and you don't have free will. You're just kind of acting out the part that's been prescribed to you. Do you think there are people who um, are just hoping, then, that they fit amongst the half a million or whatever um, that get into heaven, and, and they wonder. go through the motions? Or, I don't know, it just, it's so confusing and confounding to me, I don't, yeah. I don't get it. I, I always wonder, but the Holy Spirit is always there, working with you, whether you are aware of it or not. Right. And so, whenever you exercise your will, your free will, mm-hmm. to do good, yeah. you're in line with what the Holy Spirit wants. Yeah. And every time you use your will, your free will, to do what's bad, you're contradicting the Holy Spirit. Right. The Holy Spirit wants to push you and pull you Onto the right, you know, the straight and narrow, basically. Mm. And to believe in that Jesus came to earth and died for your well, sins. Well, that, but to, also just to live To do the right thing. To do oh. the right thing. Yeah. And so, that's where we would say, like, that's why you should listen to your conscience, mm-hmm. right? We would say you're cooperating with God's grace. God gives you the grace to do good things, like good works, or what have you. Yeah. But if you don't believe in that, right? Right. You would just say, well, I'm just abiding by my conscience. Yeah, I mean, I just, as a... As an agnostic whose dad is a pastor, it's just very difficult for me to go to church and hear somebody constantly say, and this goes back to my very first, uh, I guess, statement, constantly say, you are saved. You, you hear that so many times, but they never tell you, saved from what? Because, and I feel like it's false advertising. And I know this is in the Catholic church, but for my church growing up, it was truly saved from hell. By the way, I yeah. want to make sure nobody thinks that this is the reason why I'm not Christian. The reason that I... What do you think is the reason I'm not Christian and, and I think that you... you I would say that you probably are approaching it from a more scientific point Yeah, of exactly. Reason, just, and you're like, there's no evidence. Purely an evidence, yeah, deal for me. Yeah. And, and purely my, my understanding, many, many... I remember I was in church when it happened. I was like, oh, snap. The only reason... <laughs> I am Christian because I happen to be born to this family, but if I was born to a Hindu family in, in India, and yeah. I think it had to do with a Bible verse, and I wish I remember which Bible verse it was uh-huh. that kind of touched on that. I would totally be Hindu and, and whatever, and that got me thinking, and, right. and, and, but it totally has to do with evidence, yeah.
Why don't you back up and just kind of tell us your story? So my dad's a Lutheran Missouri Synod pastor, and it's important to say Missouri Synod pastor because they are a more conservative um, denomination. There's the ELCA too, which is, um, I believe, is, I hope I'm right about this, is even accepting of, of homosexuals as um, pastors. But they long time ago accepted, for instance, women pastors, which, I, yeah, Missouri Synod still hasn't done that, which is, to me, um, crazy. Um, and my dad was kind of a moderate, I think, if not a liberal in, in that. So he always sort of allowed me to, and questioned me and, and everything, and, and allowed me to, to put logic um, first in my life. Mm -hmm. And I definitely ran with that. And I never felt like I was under the gun to toe the line as far as my beliefs, which I'm very, very ha happy about because obviously I think I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so I probably right around sophomore is, uh, is when I started to doubt. And, it, and before this time, I always kind of had the idea that atheists and, and agnostics mm -hmm. were bad people, mm -hmm. were, were less moral. And when I had a couple agnostic friends who were maybe, no, definitely better morally than mm -hmm. uh, others, they would, they would stop at a dime to give you the shirt off their back. Um, it made me realize, what the heck was I thinking? So that it dispelled that crazy myth, which I think tons of, of, of Christians, and I think the more right you are as a Christian, the more likely you are to believe that if you're not Christian, you're, you're less morally. Right. And so that was the first one. And then I just started uh, getting into, well, what do we know as humans? And, you know, well, first of all, Descartes pretty much hit it on the, the, the head we only know that we exist, you know, and the reason we know we exist is because we think. We're I, conscious. You know, conscious. We have consciousness. Yeah, he said, "I, I think, therefore I am," yeah. and and beyond that, if you really want to, you know, get down to the brass tacks, there's not a whole lot of things we know really, really well, and of course, religion, we're basing things on things that happened so many thousands of years ago, and there's so many different religions. And you have to decide then, based on empiricism and empirical truth, um, do I want to go with what my family is telling me is true, be it based on tradition, or do I want to go with logic? And so probably in, in college is when I really started. And by the way, I went through hell. Oh, wow. Because as a Lutheran Church Missouri Synod member, I thought I was going to hell because wow. I was questioning my faith. And so a lot of people that I... Uh, a lot of um, people who are Christians who I um, hung out with at that time thought I was doing it like just to be rebellious or something. I'm like, no, dude, this sucks for me because I think I'm going to hell now. I couldn't get past that part oh, of it. So right? that you were going through a phase. Yeah, uh, yeah, a rebellious phase or uh, I don't know. But it was something where logic just, I couldn't ignore the logic that, that was staring me in the face. So then um, I went to church unwillingly as a um, newly married um, agnostic, probably for until my last child was born in 2003, I believe he was born. Oh, that's wow. when we pretty much, and that's when my dad stopped preaching uh -huh. because he retired. 
and it gave me the perfect excuse not to go to church. But I had already mm-hmm. not been a believer all those years. And um, it, was, it was very difficult because I think all my family, if you are a strict religious person and mm-hmm. you stop going to church, your family definitely looks sidelong at that. You know? yeah. it's, it's not easy. And um, my parents, though, were, they never, we never really talked much about it because it's probably very difficult for them, I'm sure. Um, they were very gracious in, in not um, being, I guess, accusatory. Not brown beating, church. Brow yeah. beating you or something. Right. They realized, well, you know what? That's got to be a very personal. Mm-hmm. But their grandkids then are going to learn from me. Um, and I tell my kids very, very honestly, listen, if you guys are religious, not religious, whatever your beliefs are, the, that's the most sacred part. I mm-hmm. still believe that's the most sacred question you can right. answer, is whether there's a God in the afterlife. Um, so I definitely don't denigrate religion. If they want to do that, that's great. But um, It's the question. It's the question, absolutely. Right. That's, and that's where I am now. That's... When I stopped going to church, that's kind of where I've been ever since. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, I grew up, I guess, a heathen. Because my parents were not really in parenting, and they weren't really doing their part to raise us. And so we would run around, no concept of God, no concept of even, like, morality. Just kind of, we were just left to our own devices. And then when my parents got divorced and split up, they basically just were like, deuces, we're out. And so very... Realistically, we could have been given up for adoption. We could have been in the foster care system. But my grandmother and grandfather, who were separated at the time, came back together because they saw us in a situation where we didn't have parents. Yeah. And so I they swooped don't in. Know that I had actually heard the specifics of that. And oh, well. do you think, I have to ask you this, that they would have gone back together if not for you guys? No. Or was that the main impetus? That was the impetus. That is crazy. Because otherwise That's they would have insanely. stayed they would have stayed separated and maybe gotten divorced eventually, but they wow. were separated. Yeah. And so they got back together and raised us. And my grandmother is the one who enrolled us in Catholic school, raised us in the faith, baptized us. And for me, it was a situation where I had been in a family without any structure whatsoever. And then suddenly coming into a home where there was structure, going to mass. And Mass, it's very structured. Mm-hmm. You have the liturgy. It's very structured. And so it taught me that discipline. And for me, it was actually very calming mm-hmm. to go from the chaos of my home life to then, ooh, I have this um, liturgy. I have this um, prayer life now. And it, for me, it was um, life-changing, literally. But then, of course, you grow up. You hit those teenage years, right? And I became rebellious. And I said, there's probably not a God. I don't really care. Mm. You know? And so I kind of drifted, and I, I just kind of got into the whole, this is going to sound really stupid, but I got into the whole punk rock scene, mm-hmm. and a lot of the punk rock scene is pretty nihilistic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so, and then my grandmother was like reaching out to me and said, can you please go to youth group? Okay, now, one of the main signs to me that mm-hmm. you are um, remaining um, religious, in, in your case Christian, is that you're going to church every Sunday. So you stop going to Mass every yes. Saturday, Sunday? And um, mm. what did your grandparents, so they were, they were very disappointed. My grandmother was, yeah. My grandfather was not particularly religious. Okay, all. interesting. My grandmother was the one who was. Interesting. So she mm-hmm. played the key role in your life, for sure. Yeah, my grandfather was 
not particularly religious. He would go to church with us occasionally, mm -hmm. but not really yeah. that involved. Yeah. And so when you stopped going to church, did you feel any kind of um, hell fright? No, because I had pretty much... It's like, I'm just going to live my life. This is, you know, and, but does, the doesn't present that is more. in part have to do with the fact that there's not as much of that push in the Catholic Church also? Or I feel is, like maybe is, that's, there's some truth in that. The Catholic Church is not going to, like, come down on you. I, I, I watched that show um, by Leah Romini, the Scientology show. Ooh. They cut you out of your... They yeah. cut, you know, everyone out of your life. Right. You're blackballed. And, and I think some other, like, witnesses do that and Mormons do that. And yeah. They're very like, well, if you're out, then, you know, we're going to cut you right. off. But I'm talking about, like, there's no fear at all with you about the afterlife. At the and time? Hell? Yeah. At the at time, the time no. you stopped going to church. No, I was that's, just like. See, that's, I think that's an interesting deal because for most Protestants, there would be some fright, some fear Probably. of going to hell. And then maybe that's the emphasis is just like hell versus, you know. Your life. Obviously, we still have hell in our mm -hmm. theology, but it's not the main focus for right. us. So my grandmother eventually persuaded me to go to youth group. I first met with the youth group leader there and he shared his testimony with me and it was very tragic where, I won't get into the details, but basically he had gone to the point where he was ready to commit suicide and he needed like an act of God basically to save him from blowing his brains out. Wow. And this was such a powerful story for me that I kind of gave you know, my faith life, a second chance, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I actually was telling someone this recently, and they were like, well, I want to hear about someone else's story, because they wanted to hear, like, my conversion story. And, um... They want to hear about your... Yes. And, but you were so tied up with his that... Well, at that moment. Mm. And to me, that, was, that took me back, because for me, it's like, I don't have a faith that I invented. And I think that's where Catholics are maybe different from Protestants. It's like, it's not just me and Jesus. I didn't just come to this my own. Um, this was passed down. This was, this is a faith that's passed down through the millennia. And so it's a faith that you hear, that you receive, you don't invent or make up. Yeah, I think that because um, Lutherans definitely invented a new version, a lot of Catholics say that they have invented, but most Lutherans say, no, that's, that's, that's because the Catholic Church went away from the, the true uh, words of Jesus in the Bible and the biblical uh, teachings. But right, I know exactly yeah. where you're coming from. But so, I'm just going to say, yeah, yeah, you got thousands of Protestants right now shaking their heads. Right. Well, I mean, there's like 35,000 different denominations in the United States. Yeah. I should have said dozens of Protestants shaking their heads. There you go. <laughs> but because it's, it's I don't want to get too sidetracked, but it's because people think like, I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to discern my own truth from it. Right. Well, no, that's totally Protestant. And so that's where you get all these, this, this flourishing of denominations. Right, and, right. And so for but, us, you're, in, you're inheriting something. Right. You're not inventing it. Well, that's one way of saying it. Inheriting may be a nice word of saying you have to obey. Well, There's less obeying, I think, for sure, in the Protestant tradition because you're the priesthood of all believers, for instance. Everybody's right. a, pri a priest. And well, we have, have to that, decide. We have that too, yeah. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. but, they, but people don't get to decide what the Bible means to each person in the Catholic faith. We would say that you get to... No, but by the way, neither do uh, Lutherans, so I'm wrong about that. Yeah. No, I would just say like, the Catholic Church has like, certain like, boundaries. Like, there are certain dogmas. You have and to, yeah. within those dogmas, you're free to interpret, you're okay. free to apply. Yeah. But you can't say, like, you can't deny the divinity of Christ, for example. Right, right, right. That's, that would be beyond right. the scope of your ability to interpret. 
Sure. But if you could read the Bible and say, well, this applies to my life in X, you know, in this, in this way or that way, right. that's perfectly fine. But to deny a dogma would be you're right. outside of your bounds. Okay, but, but we, we digress because um, you were talking about how that uh, testimony of that priest right. changed your life. Well, actually, it wasn't even a priest. It was just the youth group. Oh, yeah, that's dude. right. So anyway, I, so I, I, you know, and then throughout my teenage years, getting more involved in youth group, getting more involved in church, and then I, would, I did the um, Stations of the Cross, Right, that's where you go through the different phases of Christ's um, passion and crucifixion. And I was Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and that was very, for me, that was very powerful because I was empathizing with Christ. Mm-hmm. I was putting myself in his place. I was going to say shoes, but, you know, probably wore sandals. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but in his place where, you know, I'm going through these motions of being betrayed and carrying your cross and having people beat you and falling down and being picked. And so that was, to me, that was a very powerful experience. And then of course, through my twenties, it kind of rose and fall. And now I'm in my thirties and I feel like I've gotten to the point now where I think I've figured my faith life out. I'm more confident in my faith and I'm not necessarily doubting. There's always an aspect of doubt where you, where your doubt leads you to deepening your faith. And there is some doubt that actually cleaves you from it. Mm-hmm. And I think some Protestants are very afraid of doubt. Yeah. Because I think, oh, if you doubt, then you know, you're going to be cast aside. But for Catholics, it's like, if you doubt, that's fine. Because if you push into it, if you push into your doubt, that could actually deepen your faith. Exactly. And, and I've said it so many times on the show. I'm a huge reader of Andrew Sullivan. And he says that, those people that have no doubt aren't really true. He goes, I think as far as saying they're not really true Christians in that, yeah, you're not pushing yourself at all. I mean, you're right. just, you're, you're sheep that just follow without any questioning and, and right. you'll be so weak if you ever get questioned yourself. Or Exactly. It, there's this false sense of certainty. Right. But they're actually on thin ice. Right. And people who have this false sense of certainty, they're on thin ice and if they fall, it, that's it for them. Right. Usually. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, um, I got to ask because I explained how logic and, and um, empiricism and evidence um, played just the, the prime role in, in my um, conversion away from Christianity. Where does logic then and empirical evidence mm-hmm. play with you? For instance, can I ask you a couple questions? Go for it, yeah. If you were born in a Hindu house, do mm-hmm. you think you would still be Catholic in India? If I was in, if I was in India in, mm. a, in a Hindu household, yeah. I would probably be Hindu. Do you then think that most people basically take on the religion of their um, culture? Mm-hmm. Of course, totally. Yeah. And, and uh, do, how what how does that inform the logic part of of your faith? I mean, it, mm. could something be true based on where you're born and your culture? Should it be right? So I would say that there are people who are Hindu. There are people who are Muslim who investigate their faith and end up converting to Christianity. And likewise, there are people who are Christians who convert to Islam and Hindu as well. But I think at the end of the day, it boils down to, are you, one, seeking God? And two, are you open to having your life transformed So by faith? Then my next question would be, well, why would somebody have to seek God. What beyond I, things that have been handed to you from mm-hmm. tradition, Right. Um, if somebody was out in the middle, nowhere born to a family mm-hmm. in the middle of no culture, for instance, what logic, and I want to stick with logic, what logic leads to having 
to seek God. The human heart has a God-sized hole, and they're constantly seeking God. So if you look throughout human history, across the continents, across time, humanity is constantly looking for God, seeking God. I totally agree, but I would replace God with um, afterlife and, and immortality. Well, that too. People are, there's one, and I've said this so many times, it's ridiculous, I, but there's one thing that is so huge in our life uh-huh. that, um, and that we ignore so much that uh, it's just almost ridiculous, which is death. Of course. And, and, and that's the reason we have religion, for, by and large. I mean, there's other mm-hmm. reasons we have it, but how, how would you, people, is, could the hole in the heart be uh, the fear of death? I mean, people are, I think it's human to be afraid of death. But I think people at the same time also have this desire to seek God. That's why you see this multiplication of religions across time. Because, and I heard Ricky Gervais or some atheists make the comment that, well, you know, why would you believe in God if there's so many different faiths? Well, to me, that is proof that the human heart desires God, seeks God, that there are so many. See, because I've always been able to explain that just by saying, well... That's just humans not wanting to die and being really scared of it. And, and religion is the opiate of the people and, and can solve that problem. And man, it's so nice just to think, oh, I don't have to worry about dying. But what's crazy is if a Christian, I got this question for you. If a Christian truly knows, do Christians, first of all, know or hope that there's a, a God? Well, again, there's differences. So I would say for Catholics, we would say we know because even Paul in his writings say, if Christ was just a man who died on the cross, then our faith is in vain. But we have faith and we hope in the resurrection. So I'm still trying to figure out if that's hope or knowledge. Most of my relatives growing up, they would say, oh no, I know. Mm -hmm. But then the thing that is so interesting about that, and the thing, this is what's, this is the craziest reason Mm -hmm. ever to say maybe Jesus is God. Is because Jesus said, no, you know what? I think he said this, and correct me if I'm wrong, right. in, in so many words. I don't remember the exact verse. He said, you know what? If you really know that I'm God, then you're mm-hmm. free. Dude, you are stoked. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you got heaven, mm-hmm. right? And you can really do anything you want on earth. And I'm telling you, people, you need to sell everything and give it to the poor. You need right. to just... Do everything to convert everybody to Christian. Uh, it was Penn or Teller. One of them said, how much does a Christian need to hate you right. to not, uh, what's the word for trying to convert not you? Not to evangelize. Not to evangelize, right. And that's so true because they know, well, not your faith, right. but, but a lot of Protestant faiths supposedly know you're going to hell mm-hmm. and they're not going to spend their whole life if they know for sure they're mm-hmm. going to heaven trying to convert you. Man, that's evil. Penn actually said, I think someone gave him like a little mini Bible and said, you know, I know you're not a Christian or you're an atheist, but I just wanted to give you this. I don't want to, you know, evangelize or proselytize you. And he told him, Penn told him, hey, I'm an <laughs> atheist. Did, huh? But he said, if you, if you think that what, you're tr- what you believe is the, is the truth yeah, and that you're supposed to evangelize and save everyone, then why wouldn't you want to save me? Exactly. Why would you just be like, I'm just going to let you die, basically. Right. And if you know already you're, you're, you're going to heaven, because you know that everything you've you know, been taught is mm-hmm. true, 
That's why I have the feeling it's more hope than knowledge. Well, I would say there's knowledge as well, but it's more you have the hope in God. You have a hope in the afterlife. So, well, that, wait, can I stop you right there? Yeah. Because then I'm totally Christian. Because you have hope. I, yeah, I totally have hope. But there are tons of atheists and agnostics who don't mm -hmm. have any hope, which is sad for me. Yeah. This is the difference with Catholics and a lot of Protestants is they have that certainty. And they'll say things like, I know I was saved on this day. Right, right. And they can tell you like the minute, the hour, and they can share their conversion story. So when I talk to a lot of these people, they will tell me their sad dog story, how they hit rock bottom, encountered Christ, and now they're perfect. Right. And now, they've, now they're saved, right? And but those are the ones who know, but tell me if you agree with this statement. They are, those type are less likely to be good workers. In other words, For to know sure. that they're free and that they uh, should be able to sell everything or at least help the most downtrodden. I would say in many cases. So for Catholics, when I, so when I share my story, I don't have like a definitive moment. For me, it's like in waves, Yeah. right? It's, it's moments, it's experiences of conversion and falling away, conversions and falling away. Because we look at faith as being more of a race, right? It's a marathon, oh, yeah, right? And so we're looking at you're continually growing in holiness, mm -hmm. growing in your faith. Mm -hmm. But for these people who think, I was saved on this day, this hour, this minute, they're like, I'm done. They have an attitude of, I don't need to do anything. God did it all for me. Jesus did it all for me on the cross. I'm done. It, can, is that pure Americana? Is there something... I think that's purely Americana. There's something in America that that pushes that, and I'm trying to pinpoint it, but it's this it's this wanting a silver bullet, you know? Yes. It's I'm saved. Done. Yeah. Right. And science is so awesome because, man, it, science is just plodding. Mm. It's so freaking boring. It's so slow. We want results, but you know what? Science mm. doesn't work that way. Right. And that's why it's so powerful. It takes so many decades and centuries to right. get. But I think at the same time, that people will say, well, if you believe... So I had a student, for example, say to me, Mr. Rodriguez, I don't believe in religion because I believe in science. And I said, I believe in religion and I believe in science. I don't see them as being mutually yeah. exclusive. No, I don't either. So, for except example... Except for... I just said I don't either... Except for the whole logic part. I still don't think the logic is there. I think that the hope for it is okay, but... Um, I mean, as far as empiricism, I don't think it's quite there yet. Well, Not I think quite, but the, I don't the, think it's the close. Issue, the issue, so for example, here's my issue. If someone tries to use science to explain the Bible, they're doing it wrong. If someone's trying to use the Bible to explain science, they're yeah. doing it wrong. Yeah. They yeah. go together. Yeah. Not or like, they, they, they're in they're separate realms. They're, I, see, they're I, parallel. Okay. okay. Parallels okay. may be a better yeah. word to put it. I don't know that they're complementary. Yeah, I because, think they're parallel. Well, I would say in a sense because... Well, I mean, they should not intersect. Let me put it that way. They should not intersect. Right. right? They're parallel. The line should never cross. Because you'll hear people say like, well, the earth was made in six days, right? The earth is 4,000 years old. That's not scientifically valid at, so, at whatsoever. Well, it says it in the Bible. No, it doesn't. The Bible doesn't say that. Yeah. The Bible is giving you a story of creation yeah, that's but, not literal. But you can certainly... Um find places in the Bible where it says stuff that's that's been disproven by the Bible, right? What do you mean? I mean, something in, in for instance, the Bible says that 
you can trace the ancestry of, of people all the way back. Oh, I well, see what that's, you mean. I mean, so, that's just one of many, though. I could, but even that's not meant the to The Noah's be... Flood is another one. I mean, I could go on and on. Right, so when you look at Genesis, for example, the first, especially the first few chapters of Genesis, we would call that true mythology. Well, the Catholic Church would call that anyway. Now, what is that? So true mythology That is... sounds like gobbledygook to me. No, I know it does. To people who aren't familiar with the, the, the literary genres of the Bible. All right. So we would say it's a mythology because it didn't literally happen. It's true because the lessons of those myths are true. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, for example, so, there wasn't a very literal... Very metaphorically true. Yeah, so All there was right, not yeah. a literal Adam and Eve, right? Yeah. But... Humanity did have a beginning, and human beings have been sinful, and we have engaged in things like murder, like Cain and Abel, right? Yeah. These are all stories that are metaphors or myths of the human condition. Yeah. So they're myths, but that's, again, that's how we interpret it. There are other folks, other Christians, who would say, this is literal. Right. Right, and so that I would say that's the difference. Yeah, so you know, you, it's it's so hard really to talk about a Christian really. It is without even smirking. It's, you have to be way more specific than that. It, it, Christianity is so many different facets that, without being very specific about what type of Christian you are, it's really talking about nothing. You have to get into the weeds of yeah. specifically which branch or which denomination, right. which theology you're talking about. Right, but um, there are plenty of. Catholics who are scientists. So if you look at the moon, the craters of the moon, there are a lot of craters named after Jesuit priests mm -hmm. because they discovered the craters. Yeah. And then if you look at something like the Big Bang, uh, I know a lot of atheists like to say, there was no religion because of the Big Bang. Well, who came up with the Big Bang Theory? It was a Catholic priest. Yeah. The Catholic priest named Georges Lemaitre came up with the Big Bang Theory. And when he presented it, a lot of the scientists who heard him didn't believe him, including Albert Einstein. They didn't believe him because they thought, oh, the Big Bang. You mean like God at the beginning of the Bible saying, let there be light. Right, right. They thought he was trying to justify the biblical basis of his faith, right? But then, you know, as scientists started to look into it, oh, okay. We see what you mean and became more acceptable to now the point being people will use Big Bang as, an, as evidence against right. faith altogether. Yeah. I totally have always respected the Catholic Church, and I'm shocked when I talk to my Catholic friends, and they don't realize that the uh, Catholic Church has totally endorsed evolution yeah. and Big Bang and all these things, and they're like, no, no, and they must be coming from parishes that either hide it or don't advertise it or are embarrassed of it or are afraid of putting people off or getting people to stop coming mm -hmm. to church, but my church was definitely not that way. It's more, oh, no. more conservative, yeah. I would say, because, you know, Pope well, I guess now St. Pope John Paul II said, um, you know, evolution is not a hypothesis anymore, meaning it's a fact. What percentage of Catholics do you think have heard that? I don't know. Maybe I, I would say at least half. A whole half. Yeah. At least half. Good. And then Pope Francis, who I just absolutely adore, said a lot of Christians look at God like the fairy godmother waving a wand. But no, God acts through science. He creates through these natural processes. Yeah, you know, um, I want to go back to something that you t talked about, how some uh, evangelicals come to their faith through a very specific moment mm -hmm. when they're saved. And it's a very, it's like, 
it's like the big bang for their personal right. life. And um, what do you think um, emotion plays? What part do you think emotion plays for that? To me, emotion plays and should hit. I mean, to me, can you reconcile logic with religion? And Catholics do that better. But some people just say, no, it's, it's um, the emotion you feel, that's God. And all, they right. almost put like, oh, God is emotion. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I hear that a lot, especially from, I'd say like more non-denominational mm-hmm. evangelicals. Mm-hmm. You see the crying. Pentecostals are Pentecostals. so into emotion. And they yes. feel like that's the spirit. That's God. And Quakers. Mm, yep. And, you know, Mormons have a similar concept of, you know, you f- just feel yeah, it. Yeah, dancing. Right. But if you look at Catholics, we have thousands of years of philosophers. So we don't look at science and say, well, science can prove God because God is not something in the world, right? Like you can take a plant or an animal and study it. Mm -hmm. You can't do that with God. There's no way to empirically prove God's existence. But we believe that philosophy is a branch of reason that you can use to deduce the existence of God. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of... Um... So just look at like Thomas Aquinas. Right, right. And recently, Pope Benedict, or Joseph Ratzinger. Very articulate, very logical, reasonable arguments from philosophy. Yeah. Not necessarily science. And I think Protestants even, even and evangelicals will try to prove from science by using something like intelligent design. That's their attempt. But there's just, there's just no way to prove or disprove religion from science. Yeah. All right, so that's one question I had for you, and here's another. What do you think of this statement? Without religion, mm-hmm. and not just Christian religion, mm-hmm. of all the di- different facets, um, the humans maybe wouldn't exist by now, and, and our, um, our station in life would be miserable. Do you think that religion, especially the Christian religion, mm-hmm. has benefited or hurt humans more? I think undoubtedly benefited. Because if you look, I think today... When you look at atheists in particular, or just the secular culture, they pride themselves on their humanism, right? Mm -hmm. Where does humanism come from? Humanism is a Christian, comes from Christianity, I should say. So Follow that line, like, where does that... Because when Christianity came into being, especially like in Roman culture, there was no concern for the other person. It was all about, well, that's your station in life. You're a leper. Just go live over there on the side of the road. Or you're poor. That's your station in life. So it's all about you are labeled according to your station in life and you stay there and there was no attempt to ease the suffering of others or to share in your possessions or what have you. No sense of charity. Right. Well, one of the ways that a lot of Jews at the time and pagans converted to Christianity was they saw the way that Christians treated other people. Non-Christians. That would have been powerful. That chair, yeah. And they saw this like, whoa, look at these Christians. Look how they're um, taking care of the poor and the sick. And, the and they forgive. Yes. And so they said, look at that. And that became attractive. And that's one, that was one of the ways that people converted. So, and over time, especially if you look at the development of Christianity, the idea that human beings on their own have inherent dignity and um, should be treated with respect regardless of, you know, Whatever. Right, as children of God. Right. Now, if you could, like, then expand on that and say, therefore, Christians automatically should have shown themselves throughout history to be better actors than others. Can you definitively say that 
Isn't that, does that shock you? What explains the fact that Christians can't necessarily be shown to be better actors throughout history? No. I think if you look at the trajectory of human history, it's a net positive. The arc bends mm -hmm. towards justice. But there are definitely people and events throughout history where Christians have been horrible. It, it, and I think that it's not because, I think people think, and I hear this all the time from people too, well, look at that person, they go to church and they are so sinful. Or look at that person, they're religious and look how they behave. Well, yeah, church is not supposed to be a museum of perfect people, right? It's a hospital for the sick and for the wounded, right? So people are inherently sinful. You can either abuse your position in the church, and that's what a lot of people did. So you have like, what, the, the Borgias and whatnot, mm -hmm. who had positions in the church and they took advantage of it to, you know, enrich themselves. Or you can look at people like St. Francis, mm -hmm. who sold everything, only had like the cloak on his back, and literally would travel around evangelizing people. Yeah. So you have these extremes where the church, the church itself, the institution itself, has to convert. Yeah. I mean, that's I not Pope a Francis... central question. That's a central question for so many people. Well, yeah, look at the church. To me, that, and this is going to go back to a real black and white empiricism on my part. To me, the idea that if God loves us, then that we'd have no um, death and, and tragedy and, and misery in our lives. But there's an easy way for any Christian to argue against that. And, and it would be, no, if you believe in Jesus, don't worry about this life. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, if you compare a finite lifetime to an eternal life, right. it's, not, it's literally almost nothing. It's nothing. So your life on earth is, even with the misery, should never be compared to eternal life. So Right. So there is this, um, there's this guy on YouTube I follow. He's a priest. And he was telling the story of this group of nuns who had dedicated themselves to the saint. I think her name was Saint Teresa of Avila. I'll have to check that. But the, this book had been written and released where it said, well, this woman wasn't really exercising supernatural faith. She wasn't really, you know, holy. She was just suffering from bulimia or anorexia or something, right? And so these women came to the priest like, oh my God, like, is this true? And he said, well, I don't, I don't know. So the priest went to his superior and said, well, is this true? Like, did she, was she really just suffering from bulimia or from anorexia? And his superior was like, who cares? Who cares? She was out of her sickness or out of her disorder or what have you. She was able to live a holy life. Mm -hmm. And she ended up having a short life. I think she died like in her 30s. Right? And I think that's one of the issues I have with some of these religions or these denominations where it's all focused on healing mm. right like physical healing or material wealth and it doesn't matter yeah. even if this life is healing. short yeah right god wants your heart more than he wants your healing i said that last week so yeah like you might go through a season of suffering or tribulation your whole life might be that way. right but it's more about like can that be your cross to bear and can you still through that live out your faith yeah. I mean, but I wish more Christians would go about that in a very logical way. Well, who cares what happens in this life? It's nothing. I mean, God that, promises you eternal life. Right. Yeah. Um, I got to bring up one more thing, too, because I, like, uh, I'll say it. You can bleep it out. Please do. One of my 
is like he is wanting the structure of church. Mm. And there's these new churches that are popping up. Mm. And you go there and you sing, for instance. And there's actually a liturgy. There's something you follow. And people really crave that order yeah. that you talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And they, they love the tradition of church. That's mm -hmm. why I'm so shocked at all these new churches that have for gone all these great liturgical traditions that are so fun and and the incense and the chants and and the old old school church which if i was ever going to go to church i would find the most traditional uh right liturgical church ever because that is fun but um do you think because you talked earlier about how that order mm -hmm. was do you think we're drawn to church not because of the logic because of the order I don't think it's either or. I think it's probably both. Mm. For me, my life was so chaotic and disordered that the order was attractive. But mass is ordered and has a liturgy because, and this is what a lot of, again, non-liturgical Christians don't understand, is that when we go to mass, we are there as one body. And so we go through the liturgy in sync together. Moving as one body. Yeah, I like that. And that's what they're seeking. That's what they're craving. Community. Community. Exactly. Yeah. And so I am thinking that we are either going to lose something really important. Mm -hmm. And Andrew Sullivan, by the way, talks about this big time. All these. And by the way, you do know that people are going away from the church in droves. Right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you don't disagree with that. No. And I'm wondering if those new wave, they're not new wave either. They realize and they would be first to admit it. Hey, listen, we are filling this void right. that the church has always given us for community and singing and all these endorphins and, and a sense of belonging. And you know what? There's a heck of a lot of uh, getting ahead in society that these new wave churches, right. I mean, they provide banking for God's mm -hmm. sake. You know, they oh, yeah. provide... Uh, they provide babysitting. They provide all these other benefits that we're getting away from yeah. as we get more and more secular. It is so interesting to yeah, me. Yeah, that's definitely true. That's very. They're more modern and more kind of yeah. hip and in tune with the hustle and bustle of daily life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's well, interesting. There, as we wrap this section up, is there anything else you wanted to just kind of... No, no, I love that. That's... I think we could spend multiple episodes. Oh, gosh. We didn't get well, We didn't even really get all. too much. We can do multiple because I think there's so much. We just scratched the surface there. Mm -hmm. Has it been, been that So as we wrap up our episode here, um, we usually like to talk about one thing that we've read or watched or listened to. Joel, what did you have uh, right. for this this week? I'm going to just do a scattershot really quick because I could talk about each one forever. Vampire Weekend, coming up with a new album. Either it's out or um, it's going to be out shortly. And some of the songs are already out and they're great. Tame Impala, for those of you that like sort of Oh, hippie, drug-infused, um, psychedelic music. Nice. I mean, that's the perfect band for you. Uh, the new song that just came out, and I think it's in advance of the new album, it's called Patience. And 
Go watch Theranos on Netflix about Elizabeth Holmes. It will blow your mind. The funnest part that never gets brought up is that George Shultz's grandson is in there. And George Shultz, of course, was, I think, Secretary of State under Reagan. Yeah. And a lot of you guys know him. His own grandson was not disowned, but was definitely castigated by uh, George Shultz himself for not believing Holmes and was vindicated and it's beautiful and that happens. Wow. And then I bring up Andrew Sullivan. He's on New York Magazine and I love him. He is said to be conservative, although he's gay and Catholic. And I mean, he's, um, I guess he's conservative just because he's um, anti-abortion, pro-life. And then the other one more thing I want to really quickly bring up is, oh yeah, in this college scandal, Oh, yeah. There is something being completely ignored, and it is the fact that the ACT and the SAT have given tons of people across the country the chance to take their tests in their own room by themselves. And this is just another example of the media completely missing a huge part of the story. Wow. All right. There's there's a scandal going on and we already know the main part of it. But the biggest scandal, these crazy test company multi-billion dollar, I'm sure, test companies that are uh, allowing this backdoor. It's rotten. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. And then this week, I'm recommending a movie called The Promise. We watched it on, my wife and I watched it on Amazon Prime. And it stars um, Oscar Isaac. He's famous from movies like um, Inside Lewin Davis. He oh, was, he was um, the singer in that. And he was also Poe Dameron in Star Wars. Awesome actor. Um, but he plays this Armenian during the during World War One, right? And he's living in the Ottoman Empire, and his family and his friends, who are all Armenian, are caught up in this huge upheaval in um, Turkey, basically in Syria, against the Armenians. And it's all about the Armenian genocide. Powerful, heartbreaking movie. And it's just when you think about today how. Turkey still refuses to admit that it was right. a genocide. It's just maddening. 1.5 million Armenians were killed in the genocide. Is that like the most forgotten genocide in the history of the world? And Completely. I walked on the Berkeley campus about two years ago, and good for the Armenians there. They were out marching, just uh, trying to expose people to the fact that that happened, which I had yeah. no idea at that point, and I researched after that. It's, it's heartbreaking. You see yeah. like how, you know, it's just like, you know, during the Holocaust with the Jews, right? Yeah. They destroyed their businesses. They would just execute people. If you're a collaborator, you were executed. And that was, I can't wait to watch this. That was Promise. The Promise. So good. Check it out. And you know what? Let's tie that into our talk on religion because if they're not the oldest church, they are oh, yeah. one of they are. the oldest Christian churches on earth. Which they is were the first, the first country to adopt Christianity. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Very cool. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on our humble little podcast. You can do us a huge favor by subscribing to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, or iTunes. And be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others find the show. And be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram at Conversation on Tap. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Ooh, cheers. Thanks, Joel. so fun to talk about. Thank you. 
not about how much we lost. It's about how much we have left.